All right. Well, greetings, salutations, everybody. I am, of course, your host here on the Cracklecast, uh, Bacon. Also with me, as always, we have Boomer. Greetings from Texas, everybody. Um, today's a special show, isn't it? Yeah, it sure is. We've got um, friends of ours from Loud Pipes, and we've got a special guest with us tonight. Oh. Well, how about we start uh, introducing everybody then? All right. Um, Rich, why don't you uh, introduce yourself? All right. Thank you, Boomer. Uh, I am Rich from what well, you might know from the Loud Pipes podcast, and Bacon also joins us there, and we've done quite a few shows together, but this will be fun. This is a little different twist for us tonight. As always, sir, as always. And then, um, well, you know what? Let's go a little bit of the Loud Pipes route, shall we? What you drink? Sounds good. Oh, I'm drinking my favorite, OMB's Copper, of course. Of course you are. <laughs> and a Batel. Well, good, sir. Good, sir. And, of course, our other uh, Loud Pipes host, the man, the myth, the miracle. <laughs> That's right. The Million Mile Miracle. John, how you doing? Doing well, Bacon. Thank you for having me on tonight's show with you guys. It should be a good old time. And... Uh, Chad's got the fire already rolling, I see. Oh, yes, he does. I think well, he's doing a couple of things I'm good at. <laughs> I think he's doing better than me in, Get- in, in, Get- in Gettysburg. Oh, boy. But- oh, <laughs> saying oh, something. Oh, boy. Is that a little so competition you, you want to have? Uh, maybe. We might have to, we might have to play uh, Dueling Fires. Okay. So, John, you got anything yes, you're sir. drinking? Yeah, I, I popped out my good old favorite, Yingling. You know me. Good to hear, good to hear. And, and yourself, Bacon. Well, I'm actually on something very special now. Uh, I go to this place called Tailgate Brewery, and I have this peach apricot milkshake IPA. It's a 7%er in a nice 12-ounce. That's heavy. It's heavy. And it's so very tasty. heavy. And it's so tasty. Chad, what are you drinking, man? Uh, I've got Guinness tonight. Extra stout. Nice. Very nice. Always a good choice. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we're beating around the bush a little bit here. How about we How about we uh, introduce our guest? Most definitely. Like, All right. You take it. You set this up. All right. Yeah, stop, Sounds good. Stop beating it and bring him in, Bacon. All right. Sounds good to me. So um, I found this man on uh, Moto Trek's uh, YouTube page, uh, which I have talked about before. Um, quite amazing. Uh, this guy travels around the world. He is round the world Paul. Paul, how are you doing this evening? I'm good, thanks, guys. Good, good. So uh, where are you coming to us from? Tonight I'm in Phoenix. Nice. Very nice. Not really, because I'm not supposed to be here. <laughs> well... Nobody wants the COVID, right? <laughs> no. So, so, um, are you drinking anything? Maybe some water just to keep hydrated? I'm drinking ice water. It's about 110 outside. Ooh, yeah. I understand that. Ooh, wee. Did you get stuck in Phoenix? Is that what happened? Yeah, I, uh, about two days before my bike was shipping out, um, I just can this part of the trip because the world was uh, turning inside out basically so yeah i i shouldn't be here i shouldn't even be on this continent so mm. 
Well, where are you supposed to be, Paul? Right now, uh, well, it's middle of May. I would probably guess I would be somewhere like maybe maybe Bosnia, maybe Turkey, something like that. Maybe even a little further east, maybe even Georgia or in Russia. I'm not sure. Just depends how the trip was going. So I was meet. I was planning to meet a friend in Kyrgyzstan, uh, middle of July. So that was my my timeline. So. With your trips, okay. Um, now, how many times have you been around the world? Uh, it depends. I, I, around the world is a bit ambiguous. Um, I mean, I've been on the road for nine years. I've done about 400,000 kilometers, about 250,000 miles. So if you say equivalent around the world, that's, I don't know, about 10 times. But actual physical around the world a couple of times. Okay. Well, that's awesome. <laughs> and... Um, so, I don't know. How about for some of our listeners here? Uh, let's go through some of your, I uh, guess, some of your backstory. How did you start off into this? I saw that you uh, used to do construction, like roofing, mostly. No, no. Uh, it something else. Not me. I used to. Uh, I used to own motorcycle shops. I used to build motorcycles. Oh, oh, there it is. Custom motorcycles at Dynamic Choppers. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was on. I was on That's- the wrong thing there. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. Um, well, I I was in business for I don't know probably best part of fifteen twenty years something like that. And a guy, one of my customers, long term customer, came to me one day and asked me if I was interested in selling the business. And as far as I'm concerned, everything's for sale at the right price. And he offered me the right price, so I agreed. He made me a substantial down payment um and then two days later i got in a motorcycle accident and i was hit from behind by another motorcyclist my right leg was shattered into about 50 or so pieces and ankle snapped in half um i couldn't walk for nearly six months and i with the sale of the business i was supposed to be working as a consultant for this guy just to show him what he needed to know and instead of him coming through with the remainder of the payment, he decided to steal my identity, steal parts, um, embezzle money. Uh, you know, long story, but basically not good. All of it not good. Summers to court three times. He was a no-show three times. Um, I was awarded the business back, obviously, because it was still mine. He hadn't paid for it. Um and as that was happening, um, I had a stroke, um, a stress-related stroke, and went 100% blind. So, uh, yeah, it's a bit, yeah. And as as that was happening at the same time, because, of course, you know, things don't just happen individually. They come in twos and threes and fours and whatever. Um, I was in the middle of a divorce. Um, I had a few different properties. I lost all the properties because of the... The economy was crashing, and uh, my father died of cancer, and my dog died, all within about three weeks of each other. Man oh. alive. You're not yeah. a country songwriter by chance, are you? Yeah, I could be. I certainly could be. <laughs> I was just about to say it sounds like a country song from Texas. Yeah, yeah. Uh, wow, that's a that's a lot to, to deal with. Yeah, so um, I, obviously, life was a little bit of a mess. I was down to... Uh, my last like 
I think I had 3,000 bucks to my name. That was it. Um, and I obviously had a hell of a lot more prior to that because the the uh, identity theft cost, I don't know, I probably excess of a million or something like that. Um, so I just, I needed to, I needed to, um, I was in Vegas. My, my shop was in Vegas. I needed to get away. So a friend of mine in Washington State said he had a, a building I could go up and I could just use unlimited time, um, free rent. So I headed up there and it just wasn't, it wasn't for me. It didn't seem like the right place, but it was kind of where I was. I had no choice. I had no way of escaping again. And, uh, the, the phone rang and a magazine editor from England, a magazine called Backstreet Heroes, the editor from that, she, she called and she was asking me what was going on and if I had any bikes that uh, she could feature in the magazine. I told her all the, all the stuff that had happened. And she said to me, you need to go on a motorcycle ride. <laughs> and that was probably October, November 2010, something like that. Okay. And uh, right around the same time, I ended up getting an insurance payment from the motorcycle accident not nothing substantial nothing not not six figures nothing big but uh i just put it i put the money uh put the money away and kept a little bit aside um i went over to um i flew over to england uh, to see my mother and while i was there i bought a motorcycle and a guy that i knew was sending a shipping container to down to patagonia and i asked him if he could include my motorcycle and he said yeah so um, he said the bikes will be there in the middle of March. So I basically had about four months to get my, uh, my shit together. And, um, I flew down to, I flew down to Patagonia, down to Ushuaia, the southern tip of Argentina, intending just to get away and do this ride, um, a little bit more than she, she'd anticipated when she, when she, the editor, when she said it. And I expected to be on the road for maybe five, six months, something like that. Um, and that was uh, March 2011, and I'm still on the road now. Wow, that's that's crazy. Yeah, yeah, you should, <laughs> you should see it from my side. <laughs> now, I have to say, after everything that happened, when you started that ride, yeah, how was that like mentally for you? Like, did that did you feel like weight lift off of you a bit and just you became free or did you still have stuff on your head? How, how, how did you deal with that? No, I was, I was in a bit of a fog really. It was just, it wasn't, it, everything just seemed a little bit surreal. Um, not that I was doing the trip that I was just, my life was just been turned upside down. Um, and I rode with a bunch of guys until, uh, different guys off and on until Mexico. Um, and it wasn't until I separated from them and then went off by myself that that's when it kind of changed. And one day somewhere, I don't know, I was in a, I was in a national park somewhere, um, somewhere on the West coast. And I gone to look at whatever it was. Um, and I'm coming back to the bike and there was this old lady standing next to the bike and, and I had stickers all over the bike, all these different places I've been. And she said, as I walked up, she just said to me, this is your bike, isn't it? And I said, yep. And she said, why are you doing this? That was, that was, a, <laughs> that was a straight, I mean, like interrogation question, you know, and I, <laughs> I, 
I kind of stepped back and think a little bit, and I said, well, I was 100% blind in 2010. I guess I'm just going out to see as much as I can while while I still have my sight. I'm just, I'm now, I'm just getting out and enjoying life. And she said, that's good. Life is short. Mm. And walked away. And, and I, from that point on, I'd intended uh, to, you know, to go back to a normal life. Um you know, job and house and whatever. Um, and I didn't. I just kept going. Hmm. So on, uh, I returned, um, I had a bunch of stuff in storage. I returned and a guy, a friend of mine, offered me a job. And he was down in Louisiana and he wanted me to do some welding work for me. I went down there. I was there for a few weeks and just helping him out. And he said, you're not staying, are you? And I said, no. <laughs> I just uh, uh, you wanted me to help you out, so I'm helping you out. Um, but I need to go, so I sold a bunch of crap that I had, and I then I took off again, and and I've done that a few times. Um, so I, at the moment, I'm sitting in a friend's house. I have um, a 20 foot shipping container um, in his backyard, and I kind of joke with them that I come and visit my crap every once in a while. And that's what I, that's that's what I'm doing right now. I came to to build a new bike um, to continue riding, um, and all the tools that I needed were in my container. So that's how I end up in Phoenix. <laughs> wow. Now, anybody? Uh, before I just go. <laughs> no, I, no, I I just have one thing. I, well, I got a couple of questions for Paul, but we can kind of keep going as we're going on this. Yeah. And that is, you said you live, you pretty much live off your bike, Paul. How do you do that and go by, you know, making a living for your travels on a, you know, daily, yearly basis? Do you stop for a while, work, and then take off again? Or are you one of those that works while you're traveling? Um, no, I actually, probably more of the, um, more of the last one, I would say. I, um, let's see, I mean, when I left, like I say, I had no intentions, um, I had no intentions of, of it being a long trip, but while I was sitting there with, um, going back to um, 2008, sitting there with a busted leg and couldn't walk, um, I had about probably five or six months, I literally just sat there, did nothing, and I kind of educated myself a little bit about investing. And when I got the payoff from the insurance, um, it, like I say, it wasn't, it, you know, it wasn't a lot of money. Um, I invested that and then progressively reinvested, reinvested, and got into a little bit more heavy-duty investing, into property speculation, into a few different things. And then as my travels commenced and as I continued, then I would have a few odd magazines here and there contacting me and say, hey, can you write a story for us? And um, and I was doing that. I was I I have a degree in photography, so I was, I was selling photographs as well. Um, I have about, I was looking at it the other day because somebody asked me, that, I did an interview with somebody the other day, and they, they asked pretty much the similar question. I have about, I think it was 12 or 13 different income streams and none of them are significant. Um, when they all come in, when you know I have a month when all on payout, it's, it's a great month. Uh, but generally, it's probably one or two pays out, and that's what covers me. Um, and then I, 
to finance as I'm going. Um, at the moment, I have a little bit of rental income comes in, and I, I write for a few different websites and things like that. But it's not it's not a great deal of work. It's I could probably do the whole thing in probably three or four hours a week. Um, but that's enough, the way I I travel and live. That's that income is enough for me. That's 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 absolutely amazing. First off, for me. Um, but the thing about it is a lot of people think travel is a lot more expensive than it really is. And you can make it expensive, you can make it cheap, you know, I mean, it just depends on, on how you do it. But um, if you eliminate all your your excess costs in your, in your home country, you, you know, I don't have a wife, I don't have kids, I don't have mortgages, I don't have credit cards, I don't have... Um, a cell phone plan. I don't have a car loan. I, you know, once you eliminate all that and you put yourself to zero, you have zero going out of your of your bank account on a monthly basis. Then the only expense is what you create when you're on the road. So the there's a lot of people think that you know you travel around the world and it's it's every day you go 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 and you keep traveling. It's actually people learn. Um, and you'll hear this not from me, but from a lot of other people. But the slower you travel, the cheaper it is. <laughs> and as you're, as you're going, if you have any way of of generating a little bit of income, and you're traveling slowly, and you're spending less than you're bringing in, then your bankroll is increasing. So you're actually saving on your own savings, if that makes sense. Right. Um, then, if you start running out of money generally the most expensive thing is is going to be the fuel for the motorcycle so if you're not traveling that's one expense that's already disappeared so you sit still you find a nice place you sit still for a few days a week a month or whatever it may be um until your bankroll you know increases and and then off you go again yeah i like how your site breaks down the cost per day you know for your your four major categories but just from a, a philosophy standpoint i i also like what you were saying about you know, you don't live off of ramen noodles and you're not camping every night. So it's kind of a mix, right? You want a good meal, you want a good place to stay. I, I go to the I go to the store and I buy I buy steak and yeah, I I stay in hotels and you know, but but you you know, I'll I, I might get an Airbnb, you know, most people might say, Oh, I'll stay here for a couple of days. I I might approach the owner and say, Hey, do you do any discount for a week? And most Airbnbs do hmm. and generally cost the same as two or three days. So I basically just saved myself four days worth of accommodation, and that gives me a chance to then reach out to any magazines or, or websites or forums or photography sites that want something. I can, that gives me that little bit of time to do that, get something going, and then I carry on again. That's a great idea. That's... It's not rocket science. <laughs> no, but the, but the philosophy is, is great. I, I love the idea. Yeah, I'm just a, I'm just a dude riding a motorcycle. That's all I'm doing. I'm just I just get to go and stand in some pretty cool places. That's the difference. Well, if we can, I'd like to to understand more about the bike itself. Sure. Yeah. In terms of the ones you've ridden, and then of course what you're building. Um, I the the first bike I started off with I bought in England was a was a Yamaha XT660, um, and I put about. I don't know, just over a hundred thousand, hundred hundred and twenty thousand k on that one. Um, then let's see. 
I had the, I have to I, I have to think of this in logical order in my head. Uh, <laughs> I rode that one from Ushuaia to so the southern tip of Argentina to to the northern tip of Alaska, and then across the Newfoundland down to Key West, round the states three times, and then I went back down to South America, and then back up to. Uh, then flew back up to Florida and then rode a little bit. And then I kind of got bored of it. Um, then I bought a, a KTM 625 SXC, which is a pretty rare bike for, for the States. Um, and I flew that to uh, I flew that to Korea. I rode through the States and Canada and then flew to Korea and then rode from, from Korea to Europe via um, Russia, Mongolia, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, Uzbekistan. Um that the motor on that one blew up in Hungary and I was 400 miles from the KTM factory and they didn't have the parts and we end up calling every KTM dealer in in Europe and nobody had the parts and KTM had ended up having to make it for me and it was going to be it was three months for them to make the Nicosil lining for the for the cylinder because it was it was one, one of their rare models they just didn't have it so I flew back to the States. Um, I bought an XR650R, um, took that out, rode it, and the kickstart was, I was struggling with my right leg kickstarting it, and I got stuck in a sand wash outside of Lake Powell and couldn't get the bike going for about six hours until it got dark and then surrounded by coyotes. And So I thought, I'd get rid of that one. Um, on the way back, um, I put that one up for sale, um, and a day later, a guy offered to buy it from me, so I sold that. Um, flew to Texas, bought a WR250, rode the Transamerica Trail on that, sold that to a buddy of mine a couple of days later, um, then hopped back on the KTM, which was now fixed, did a bunch more riding on that one. Then I just felt like riding pavement for a while, so then I bought a, um, a Super Tenere, I rode that down through Mexico, Guatemala. I rode around Cuba on that, back to the States, flew that to Europe, rode around Europe for a year on that, came back to the States with it again. Um, then wanted to get back on some dirt. A friend of mine, actually the friend I'm staying with right now, had two DR650s for sale, and I started seeing a, a girl then. So her and I jumped on DR650s, and we rode them down Mexico, Cuba, Central America, South America, and I was down there for a couple of years. And then came, uh, I was getting bored of that, and a guy from, um, it's funny actually, a guy from, a guy from Wales contacted me and asked me if I wanted to sell my bike. And I said, yeah, sure. And at the time I was in Peru, and, I, and, and he said, do you think it'll be a problem me buying your bike? And I went, no, no problem at all. And he said, let me just lay this out for you. I'm I'm Welsh. I have a fake Chinese motorcycle license. I have a, a Cambodian passport. I'm going to buy um, an American bike from a guy in Colombia. Do you think that'll be a problem? <laughs> and I just said, oh, it'll be fine. This will be easy. <laughs> and it was. And it, everything went well. So he paid me for that. Um, and while I was sitting waiting for him to arrive into Colombia, I was looking on through want ads and I found a KTM in Michigan, and I called the guy up, um, and I, I said, hey, I want to buy you, buy your bike. And he said, well, I'm going to pull it pull it down. He said, I'm not going to sell it anymore, but thanks. 
And I said, oh, that's a shame because it's the bike that I want. And he went, really? Why is that? And I kind of explained a little bit what was going on. And he said, I know who you are. I'll sell you the bike. <laughs> so he shipped the bike from Michigan to Phoenix. And it arrived here about two days before I did. So the bike had had, it's a, it's a 2016 KTM 500 EXC six days. It had uh, just less than 500 miles on it. It had three, three previous owners. The first owner rode it once, scared him to death. He sold it. The guy that bought it laughed at him. Um, and this is the story I got from the guy I bought from. <laughs> this second guy laughed at him, bought it, took it home, rode it, scared him to death. He traded it in for a minivan. Um, <laughs> That's a turnaround. Yeah. Um, and the guy I bought it from was the guy who sold him the minivan that owned a car dealership. And he bought it in November, and it was sitting in his office in uh, in in up in the UP in uh, in Michigan. And he he said, "Well, I won't be able to ride it for another six months anyway, so yeah, I'll sell it." So he came down here, and then as I do with every single bike, I go through them from front to back, top to bottom, and and took it from a bone stock 500 EXC to basically a. Um, a, a full-on rally bike and it's i took it out uh last year and rode 7500 miles on it and did test rides and everything corrected things that that i didn't like um and now it's ready to go um i created it up in uh let's see i was supposed to fly out the states a 26th of february and it was sitting in the crate in the garage um, on the 25th, ready to go. And then I pulled the plug. So hmm. then I put the bike completely back together again. And, and then COVID just went nuts. And I'm still sitting here. And hopefully I'll be taking off um, in a couple of weeks. So I, I've got one more on this one. Then I think Becky sure. wants to make a little pivot. Yeah. So of all those, KTM, your favorite then by far? This KTM, I wish, I wish I'd have bought one of these back in 2011. Mm. Um, it was a, it, I mean, it was a different model back then. It was a five, it would have been a 525 EXC. But I wish I'd have bought it. It, it would have made, I mean, everything that I've done has been great and fun and enjoyable and entertaining. But it would have made, it would have magnified it even more because the one thing that you can get limited on is. Um, the bike can limit you where you know where you can go, right? And right. that's the thing that I I was finding. If you kind of look at the bikes that I had besides the Super Tenere, I was I was gradually getting I was going to lighter bikes. So this this bike, fully loaded, full of fuel, is lighter than any of the other bikes. Um, so it'll it opens up a lot more a lot more avenues of adventure. Hmm. Well, that's cool. That's, I mean, that's just super cool. And with that, you know, like keeping it light and everything like that, you have your packing. And that was really the video that really caught me about this and everything where you went over your bike, you went over your packing list and stuff like that. So I guess, I guess if we could, could we, uh, like, like when you started off traveling yeah. over the past seven years, like, you're ever i guess you know apparently everyone messes up and will continuously mess up until 
they ride enough that they pare down their system. What was yours like? So from where you started to where you are now, and how did you get there? Like, well, like you don't have to go like full detail, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I know what you're saying. It, it's the thing about it is, is, is what I'll tell it. I'll tell everybody is you pack what makes you feel comfortable, and that's what I did, and that's what everybody everybody does. And some people stay comfortable with their pack size, with the weight of the bike, whether it's a mass amount of stuff for a, you know just a, a credit card and a toothbrush. Um, I constantly look at what I'm carrying thinking, do I really need that? Because, you know, there's the shops everywhere, so I can buy it if I need it. So do I need to carry it? Until I met a guy years ago that had been on the road for about 12 years or so, and he made a statement to me. He said, the way to pack light is not pack your inhibitions. And if you wrap your head around that, it hmm. changes your mentality to how you pack the motorcycle. So, like, instead of uh, instead of all the what ifs, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, I'm going to break down, and on this bike, this is going to break, and and it might snow here, and you know, I might need this, I might need that, and you know, I know it's going to be windy there, so I need a bigger, stronger tent, and uh, just uh, no, just go with it, go with the flow, go with the flow. You'll, um, it'll just make your life easier. It's um, there's no there's no right or wrong way to pack a motorcycle. Um, I mean, that was, it, it wasn't my, my video. It was my buddy, Tim, that I, he asked me if I would do it. Um, and I was just like, sure, okay. You know, and we went through it. And it's, um, the way I pack is not for everybody. The, I, don't, I don't have cheap gear because it just, over, over, the, a lo, you know, over the long haul, it just doesn't last. So I have, I have better quality gear and generally better quality gear is actually smaller and lighter. So that, that helps a lot. Um, but that takes time. It takes time to know, to know what you need. So, I mean, I, I, the suggestions I make to people is, you know, take a, take a short trip before you take the long trip. Um, if if you can't do that, um, then do it at home. You know, if, if you, if you have a house, then go put your tent up in your backyard and sleep in it for a few nights to see if you're comfortable or not. You know, don't, don't do that test when you're, you know, you're in, you know, wherever in the middle of Colombia and you find out. <laughs> that you tent, you know? So it's, it's all logical stuff. It, it really is. But for some reason nowadays, a lot of people just want to be spoon fed, you know, the whole recipe. And yeah. there isn't a, there isn't a perfect recipe. I don't, it just isn't. Yeah, tell me what to do, right? Give me all the details and don't yeah, leave yeah. anything out. <laughs> I mean, I, I probably I probably get, I don't know, anywhere between five and 20 emails a day asking questions about, what about this, what about that? You know, And I answer every, every single one without fail. I answer everybody. Um, I mean, I put a thing on my Instagram feed yesterday. Any, does anybody got any questions? I think I had 85 questions in an hour about and then they're all really logical and and the answer to probably 95 percent of them was google right but i don't say that i give them i tell them what the answer is and i go through it with them you know so um you learn from you basically you just learn from your mistakes you you know and you learn what what works for you what doesn't work for you what works for your motorcycle what doesn't work for your motorcycle you learn how to pack um that 
you know, when you get into, you know, if you're going to say stay in a, if you're going to stay in a hotel, um, that, you know, you're in some sketchy neighborhood, but you know, you, you know that you're going to be safe inside that you can get your stuff off you, off your motorcycle in one go. You don't need to take a couple of bags and then you can leave everything sitting out there while you're going to find a room and you come back and nothing left. You, 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 you kind of create a, a, your own game plan for, for your own comfort level. Right. Sounds, so is that, that, sounds is that, am I making sense when I say that? Is that logical? No, it makes complete sense actually. Okay. Um, you know, you know, bacon that, that goes a long way with what we always say, like ride your own ride. Yeah, so you could extend that to the bike, to the gear, to everything. Like just, you know, Paul can't tell us which bike to take and ride across oh, yeah. the country. Like you have to get or the no one that gear. works for you. The bike, that, the bike that's right for you most likely is the bike that you already own because you bought it because you like it. And you, you might, you know, hopefully you know a little bit, little bit about it. Um, you know how it handles, you know what the fuel range is, you know how long you can ride it between stops, you know, and you're going to be comfortable or uncomfortable. So, you know, changing your bike and changing everything before you go usually is not the not the best idea. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, just ride your own ride. The other thing that a lot of, I hear from a lot of people is, well, I'm going with my buddy, so we're going to split stuff between us. Um, I'm like, okay, so the two of you have ridden before for for months together before, and they go, no. <laughs> and you, you need to pack as, as two individuals because chances are at some point, you know, you, you might separate. And the usual response to that is, well, we're lifelong friends, and, and no, that would never happen. Right, okay, let me give you a scenario. <laughs> you're in the middle of Patagonia, you're 200 miles from the next town, one of you has a catastrophic failure, and the other one has to go and find some way of rescuing you. So he has to go off, or she has to go off by themselves. What happens if she has a problem 100 miles down the road? And half of the tools are 100 miles back. Mm. Oh, oh, I no, I never thought about that. Well, there you go. If you packed as two individuals, then you know. So you 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 carry your own resources for what you want and what you need. Um, but it, it's again, it's it's a logical thing, but a lot of people don't don't think about that um, when they leave. You you tend to learn things like that as you go along. Yeah, that's the thing that that always interests me about people that ride long distances or you know stay on the bike for long periods of time is just give me the lessons learned, you know, what are the things that, you know, you learned or you thought you were going to need and you didn't, or, you know, that kind of stuff. I like to hear that, the experience and, and the tribulations, you know, but, but things that, that relate to me that taught me lessons might not relate to you. You know, I mean, I can tell them to you, you know, you, and you take them with a pinch of salt or you pick out the prime bits that work for you. Um, yeah. But, um, yeah, you just got to, you know, you. I think the thing is, don't think the way that you do it is right. If you're willing to accept that there are there are other ways of doing it, mm-hmm. and you want to listen to other people, then you're constantly going to be improving. 
Um, and it's it's like it's like any vocation in life. You know, you you learn as you go along, and you get better and better as the more you do it. So, um, what somebody like me or you know, I mean, I've got friends that have, have been on the road for double the time that I've been on the road. What works for them might not work for for somebody the first day that they leave. They just they couldn't you know they couldn't figure that that was going to be the right thing. But hey, if they, they're on the road for five years, they're like, oh, I remember <laughs> five years ago said, yeah, I'm doing that now because that really, that's good, you know? But, yeah. That's funny. Sorry, Bacon, you were talking about packing, so I don't want to divert you there. Oh, no, 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 that's fine. Because <clears throat> honestly, he's he's actually covered off uh, uh, most of that, you know? Okay. With a, Without really having to go too much into it, and that's awesome. You know, because, you know, how many times can you go over the same thing that you've talked about multiple times? For one, yeah, I guess, I guess what, I guess, of currently in your entire, uh, of all your kit that you currently carry, yeah. what's your one favorite, what's your least favorite? What are you, are you talking about? Tools like, or just, clothes just or of, every, of everything that you carry with you. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> like if you had like one Wait. favorite, something that you know that you um, just absolutely that you personally could not absolutely live without on the road. That's the same and, question in different words. Is I got is, I got a better one, Bacon. No, no, because before I was asking <laughs> like, like paring it down and how he did that. <laughs> I just want to know what his what his personal favorite is. Uh. I I don't know because I would say I mean everything that I carry is is functional. Um, you know, I, you'll hear people say, "Oh, I'll only carry things that are that'll do two things." So then I I carry half as much stuff. I mean, everything that I've gone through, you know, all you know, everything that you saw in that video. It's funny, everything that you saw in that video isn't what I carry now. I filmed that video. A while ago, and I've I've revised my packing again since, because mm. uh, I look at it, and you know, whenever I have a chance, and I lay everything out, I look at it, and go, oh, I, yeah, I don't need that, or I need to replace this with this. Um, but to you know, to single one thing out, I would say the thing, yeah, the thing that I I I want to have with me all the time is a camera, because I'm a I'm a photographer. Um, so I would say that's, and that's nothing motorcycle related at all. That's just, that's me as an individual because I like to be able to record. I like people to be able to see through my eyes, what I'm, what I'm seeing. Um, and, and, you know, I, I get to places that, that most, you know, most people will never get to. Um, and I actually get to places that a lot of travelers will never get to because I, I ride in very remote areas. So. I would say I would say the camera is the is the thing. Okay. So, what kind of camera is that that you carry? I'm kind of curious. Is that my wife's a uh, professional photographer, and I'm kind of curious as to what I you carry, shoot. I carry a mirrorless. I carry a mirrorless camera. Um, I mean, now I, actually, I I change it up all the time. I actually I carry a mirrorless camera um, with an 18105 zoom lens. I carry a bridge camera that's got a a 28 to 1200 zoom um i have 
um, a couple of different uh, smaller video cameras as well with me as well. So, um, but the main camera is is a mirrorless, uh, and I I tend to get a I tend to look at, at at one lens specifically for one specific reason is that I'm going to take it off the camera the absolute minimum possible so I don't get dust on the sensor. But I do actually carry um, another what do I have with me now? I have one other one other lens with me. I have a prime lens with me that if I'm ever out doing any portrait work, then um, I have a, a lens specifically for that. But uh, yeah, a one, uh, an eighteen one hundred five zoom is my is my go to is my go to lens right now. Cool. <clears throat> Excuse me. Are you doing mostly um, still photos on the road, or? Um, I've been doing. Video? I've been doing stills and, and I get a lot of people asking me to, to do video. Um, so I'm going to, when I leave, um, in a couple of weeks, then I'm, I'm actually going to start doing video and I'll, I'll get my YouTube channel going. Um, and I'll be, I'll be putting videos out on a regular basis. Um, so, so yeah, it's going to be a mix of, it's going to be a mix of both and where before it was primarily just, uh, just images, just still images. And your free time will just vanish. Uh, <laughs> you start yeah. doing video. <laughs> yeah, video editing is a is a is a bit of a pain in the ass, but you know, um, because of editing, um, because of editing so many photographs, um, I'm not going into it cold. So it's it's not as difficult as as if somebody had never done it before. Um, so it's it's not that bad. I you know I have an eye for photographs. So I same thing. Yeah. I'll have an eye for for you know a video, and I'll take you know ten to thirty seconds of video. Not leave a video running for hours and hours on end. I'll 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 pick and choose shots. So I, I'll do it a little bit. I'll I'll refine it to make it easier for me, so I'm not stuck for hours or days and have no free time left. Yeah, a lot of those concepts translate, you know, if you shoot it correctly the, the first time, then you don't have to edit it as much. Yeah. Yeah, that's the, that's the thing. I mean, with, with photography, I mean, it's, if you, if you take a good, you know, a good image, you don't need to take 500 or 1,000 shots. If you get the shot in, you know, in your first three or four, then that's it. Move on. Um, and it's the, it's the same with video. You, know, you look at it when you do it and go, yeah, that, that's good. Okay, let's get going. <laughs> um, so, but you know, having I, having unlimited time makes it a lot makes it a lot easier as well. So, um, so what I'll do with the video stuff, I'll probably ride for I'll probably ride for a couple of months before I actually start putting videos out on a regular basis, so I can kind of have a have a stock of them, a backlog. So I can release on a regular basis, and um, I'm not forcing myself to create a video. No, that sounds like the proper way to go. First off, yeah. Um, and the great thing is, that, you know, you can always upload them to YouTube. Just leave them unavailable, yeah, or private, and then let them release and just release them when you need to. Right, and that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I find I find it great that you come from the old school thought of. Uh, of photography where when it was film you know you only had so many shots so you had to do it in mm -hmm. just a few shots and not hey i've got this giant 
I've got this giant memory bank that I could just fill up with thousands of shots. Oh, I can't tell you when I when I did my my degree, I was doing I was thirty five millimeter film in the dark room or whatever, and people that shot in film can relate to this that you would save two or three shots just in case, you know. And at times you would like go and develop a film and you had two or three blanks at the end of the roll because you <laughs> yep. saved them for something. But I that in my head. I'll take time to still now to to get the right photo, or I will now because you obviously you know with a with an LCD you can look at it. I'll look at the photos and delete as I take them if they're not any good, rather than review them later. So um, yeah, it's a it's a it's a different mentality than the just picking up and snap, snapping away like crazy and having to review you know a thousand photos to get three. Uh, you know, I'd rather review ten photos to get three. So. So with that, um, <clears throat> I knew I know when I used to do uh, 35 millimeter, um, mm-hmm. I, I started training myself to look at a certain area, what uh, something I wanted to take a picture of, and mm-hmm. almost kind of set my shot up to where all I could do is just pull it up and almost just take that picture, just like like few, few minor little things. Mm-hmm. Are you to that? Are you to that point with uh, digital? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I um, I take the sh- I take the shot. I mean, I I see I see the image before I even take the photo, and I know that if I'm going to convert it into black and white, if it's if I'm you know going to bracket photos for HDR, if I'm going to just take a single shot, if I'm going to try and create the photo in the camera, or I know that I'm going to be doing it pro you know post processing, um, I kind of I have that in my head before I even pull the, the camera out of the bag. Um, so yeah, it's it, it again. That goes back to film that you own. You know, you had to, you basically had to create the the perfect image in the camera. So you had to think about every shot that you took, and that's that's what I was taught. So I'm I'm getting back into that. I mean, I got out of photography for years and years. I know, I didn't really get back into photography in, until probably the last I don't know three, four, five years. Um, but that was kind of ingrained in me and and uh, I have other people that I've gone out and, and shot photos with that are just snapping away like crazy and they're like <laughs> photographer don't you take photos I'm like yeah I took a couple I got what I needed I'm good <laughs> and yours is likely to end up on a magazine and theirs is in a scrapbook they've, they've <laughs> gone through like four memory cards and they're looking at you going the, the man's taking like four photos all day like what's going on <laughs> most of the time they don't even see me take my camera out I just because they're too busy doing what they're doing and I, I've taken the shot and I've put the camera away <laughs> they're like Brrr. yeah so you don't shoot in raw at all do you yeah I shoot in raw yeah okay yeah like color corrections and things like that yeah, I shoot. I shoot in RAW, and if if I have any doubt on the shot, then I'll do I'll I'll do a duplicate of of RAW and JPEG, and just look at it, and just let the camera, you know, let the camera process it. Or if I want to see it bigger, um, I might just pull out a phone and take a, the same photo with a phone, and just see, you know, so I can see a bigger image straight away and see what that's like. But uh, but generally, no, I I can I can. I can see the photograph. I can see the framing of the photograph before I take it. So, um, so yeah, it's. I know that I, if I'm going to go in raw and then and then processing, because I've been doing it so long, it's very. I find it very very simple, very quick and easy. Um, if you get the majority right when you take the shot, 
then the processing is part is you know is literally you know a minute or two a photo where i've sat i sat with a photographer we took the we did a test we took the exact same photograph we were in uh in mexico and we sat we were together for a few days and he took two days 16 hours over two days to to process his photo to have exactly what he wanted and he said have you done yours i said yeah and he said how long did you spend he said because i haven't seen you a couple of days and i said i don't know maybe a minute <laughs> 15 20 seconds and we looked at the photos side by side and they're identical uh, <laughs> so it, it's it just depends on you as, a, as an individual i i wanted to open up more free time to drink beer he just wanted to do photos so yeah, I'm very I'm very novice with photography, but I did have a did take a couple of little minor courses, and I remember this one instructor said, "You know, are you a photographer? Or are you an editor?" And that's right. always stuck with me. It's like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> shoot it, shoot it correctly. <laughs> right. Yeah. These are brilliant. You you sell these? I'm looking at your your smug mug site now. These are yeah, awesome. I- I sell, I sell, there's, there's, there's stuff on there that occasionally they sell, but you know, everybody's got a camera nowadays. Why do you want to buy somebody else's photos? So most of the photos that I sell now go to, uh, go to magazines. Um, individuals, individuals are pretty rare that they, they buy anything. Oh yeah. There's a couple here I'd love to have on the wall. Yeah. They're well. great. Look at these. Is this uh Stelvio pass? One of these? No. I don't. No. I have in Stelvia. It's too. That's not 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 the kind of place I ride. <laughs> Yours now. You do of of your riding. How much do you do then? Like on road or off road or? Right now, I just because because we've all got way too much time on our hands, right? Um, right? I just plotted a route from Phoenix up to Alaska, back to Phoenix. And then from Phoenix down to the southern border of Peru, which is this is the route. Hopefully, everything everything works out that I'll be taking, and it's it's probably about eighty percent dirt, and it's something in the region of oh, I don't know twenty five thousand miles, something like that. Nice. So so yeah, that's that's what I look for now, and I'm not talking like hardcore enduro tracks i mean they just you know it's just non roads yeah dirt roads anything that's basically not paved is is what i look for because the bike that i'm riding that's that's what it's most suited for um and then once you're on those roads then you see minor roads that you're going to take and um and then i'll go up those and and get to little villages and and see people that just you know they're not used to seeing tourists i mean i was riding a, in mexico a few years ago with a friend and we were in the middle of we were in this area called tolentango canyon and uh we were trying to get to a certain area that we could see but we couldn't figure it out on the map but, but the, there was a road in front of us but there was no road on on my paper map on his paper map on my gps on his gps and we asked a local and they said maybe if you go up there you might, might be able to find a way and so we rode and we end up in this tiny little village in the mountains in the middle of nowhere and there was a, the road split into a y 
and we stopped and we're trying to figure out where the hell none of this was it was non-existent on any map and you know should we go to the right or should we go to the left and we're kind of talking and trying to figure out roughly where these tracks would go and we were stopped by a farm and there was big steel doors and that this door opened and this little old lady came out she got to be like four foot tall and the first thing she said to us, she looked at us and smiled and she went you're lost and we both laughed and went yeah (laughs) how do you know we're lost and she said I've lived in this village my whole life. I've heard about gringos, but I've never seen one. (laughs) (laughs) So that's kind of how remote I like to get. (laughs) Okay, yeah, that's definitely not the Stelvio then. (laughs) No. (laughs) Well, from one one picture, it looked paved, but now I realize they're dirt, so. (laughs) Oh, that's great. Paul, going back to that um, dirt track and that 25,000 miles that you're looking at, mm-hmm. how many miles are you going to be looking at doing a day? I, well, if you look at my website, uh, eight years or so, nine years or whatever it is, I probably average less than 200 kilometers a day. So it's 125 miles a day average. Um, stuff like that, I would probably, in miles, I might because this bike's a little bit a little bit faster and easier to ride i might do 100 to 150 miles a day but i tend to ride kind of like bankers hours you know i start at 11 finish at one so uh <laughs> i'm i'm not crack of dawn right till the sun sets i'm not that type that type of rider i'm not i'm not in a rush i don't need to be in a rush yeah i mean when you're just wanting to go when you're just wanting to get somewhere as opposed to I need to get there in this amount of time. Yeah. That's got that's got to be freeing. <laughs> well, you, the thing you have is a lot of people that you start getting these arbitrary goals in your head that I have to get to here and, and I have to do it by you create these races in your head and I've done it myself and you know I have to be there by six o'clock and then I have to get to this town to do this and, and if you once you can eliminate that out of your head and, and, and I, I know a lot of riders do the same thing but once you can eliminate that out of your head then it doesn't really matter you know you go with the flow and if you know if if you're riding on a road and you meet some random guy, you know, you stop for a rest and, and by a river, say, and, and there's a random guy, he's fishing and he said, do you want to come back to my house? I'm going to cook the fish. You say yes, mm-hmm. because that's what the adventure is. You you just, you let it create itself. Yeah. Um, if, if you force it, then you're going to be, you're going to be done in a, in a year or two. Um, and, Every mountain is going to be a mountain. Every you know, every town square is going to be the same after a while. Um, you just just be open to it, and um, you know, the, it was funny. I was when well, I was waiting for you guys. I was just watching something, and a friend of mine that you probably I don't know if you know, but you know of Ted Simon. He was talking about uh, you should break down as often as you possibly can because that's <laughs> when the adventure happens. Yeah. And it's true. It's so, so true. Yeah. This, everything's better. Yeah, the stories are better. You have a good time. You have such a fond memory when when some adversity comes up that you have to deal with. But if you have that, that smooth trip that's over quickly, you're like, huh, okay, well, that happened. Yeah, because the, the, 
All right, so I keep quoting other people here because because some other people I've met come out with the the greatest the greatest lines. An Australian guy that I met uh, who we were sitting talking around a campfire one night, and this guy this this guy joined us, and he was a he was a college kid. He was from the east coast, and he was heading to the west coast and uh, to to go to college, and he was riding his motorcycle cross country, and. He ended up camping near where me and this, this Australian guy were, and uh, he came over and he said, "Can I can I join you guys? You see, because I want to try and learn a little bit from you and you know, hear some of your experiences." And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure." And this Australian guy that I'm with, a little bit kind of uh, Napoleon syndrome, uh, <laughs> and he he said to, "Well, it's real simple, kid. It goes like this." He said. There's uh, when you when you go on an adventure when you go on a ride, the only thing that you're gonna remember when you get home is the shits that you take in the woods. Right. <laughs> so, and I, and and it, you know you, you know not literally, but it's it's the weird things that you yeah. remember. Yeah. You know if you know you can't describe if you see fifty mountain ranges, you can't describe one different than another. But if you meet 50 people, you can tell a story about each individual person because they are so unique. Even though the mountain ranges are unique, the, the, the experience relating to a person is going to be, is going to be so much more memorable. You know? See, John, you got to, you got to stop and see something. Yeah. <laughs> I no, our, my, our buddy, John, he, he's our long distance rider and he goes and goes and goes and, I always give him a hard time. He needs to stop and and have an adventure instead of just pile up the miles. Well, just loosen a few nuts and bolts. I just take a, <laughs> take a wheel off. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just, just create the adventure for him. <laughs> Be like, uh, John, you uh, you appear to have lost something from your spider there. Yeah. <laughs> now it's a two wheeler. Yeah. I agree. It should Rich. be one of the sheds. One of the sheds. Mm. <laughs> let's not make it let's not make it dangerous for him but let's make him lose some gear right <laughs> that might be richard's gear in there <laughs> <laughs> good point good point it could be my stuff <laughs> oh that's, man that's amazing you know i had i had a gear question earlier so i i do want to go back to that but oh. m- maybe this is just my I'm not being good at it, but I always find something that I never use. So is there that piece of gear that you ha- you always carry, but you never use the darn thing? Uh, yeah, long johns. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> oh, I love it. There might just be that one cold night that you you know you're in the middle of the. You know, in the middle of nowhere, and you just, you know, you're in your tent, you're sleeping bag, and you're freezing cold, and you want to, you know, want to get warm, and yeah. that's what you have your long johns for. But when it comes down to it, it's too, it's too cold to get out of your sleeping bag to put them on, so you just, you don't. Yeah. And then in the morning, you just, I should have put my long johns on last night. So I carried, I carried long johns, I think for, I've carried them for nine years. I think I've worn them twice. <laughs> 
So, but they they <laughs> packed down to absolutely nothing. So it's they, I've I actually took them out of my packing and I put them away in my you know with the rest of the crap that I come to visit. I put them in there and then went back and got them. I was like, well, you know, I might need them because I'm going to Alaska. So <laughs> yeah. Well, you would think at that point, like halfway there, you'd start wearing them. Yeah, just for the heck of it. Yeah, I, I generally don't, don't feel temperature extremes that much, so it's, it's not too bad for me. But the logical thing there is you just you stop in a Wally World and you, just, you you buy a pair for five bucks and wear them for a couple of days and throw them away. Yeah. So, you know. That actually makes a lot more sense than anything. Yeah, I mean, I used to do that with... I used to do that with with clothes. I would go into if I was riding around the state. I mean, the states or Europe is is an easy example. That I would go in. I would buy a pack of, of six six t shirts for for ten bucks, and I would wear them for a couple of days apiece, and then throw them away. You know, so I could ride for you know a week or two weeks and not have any laundry. You know, that that <laughs> kind of thing. So you know, there's diff, different logics to, to to doing things. So. No, I love that. I, I love that. I love that thought process, and yeah. it makes it. It makes it. It makes it a lot more simple. Mm-hmm. You know, and it gives you your just downtime. You don't have to think about. Oh, well, I need to stop by water because I need to do my laundry or something like that. And, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it, it's different for everybody. I mean, I carry. You know, I carry a washing line and laundry, so things like that. And people look at me like, well, you can go somewhere and have that done. And yeah, sure you can, you know, it's, um, but that's, that's an expense. You know, if you're going to, if you don't have many clothes and you take them somewhere to be washed, um, you know, it's going to be you know, twice a week or something like that. And it's going to cost you, it's going to cost you say, you know, five to $10 to have your clothes washed. Then over a year, that's about a month's worth of travel where a bag of soap is a dollar and a washing line was 50 cents, um, I can travel for an extra month now. You know, depends how you look at it. You know, it's, it's, it's a different mentality of, of travel. Some people, some people still like other people to do things for them. Um, depends how self-sufficient you want to be. Yeah, and you're, you're kind of washing the things that are worth washing. Like you said, you, you buy the cheap T-shirts, you wear them a while, and you bin them, but then... You know the the stuff that you're going to keep that's more expensive and yeah. better quality. You're going to wash that and keep using it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. Nice. All right, Bacon. Back to oh. you. <laughs> I don't really know anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really enjoying the philosophy of of how you travel, though. That I'm, I'm really I really like that. Just from the the way you've selected a bike just the thought process of you know the bike that works for you at that time and just all that stuff i'm really enjoying that yeah it just my I, I just try and make my life as simple as possible i mean it's that that's all it comes down to um the one thing with it with this bike this this ktm that the question that everybody asks you you know oh you gotta change the oil every 500 miles no you don't <laughs> No, you know, if I'm I'm not racing around the world. It's not it's not a you know, I'm not going from you know Dakar track to Dakar track to Enduro track, and I'm not full throttle everywhere. So right. you can stretch 
service intervals and yeah but doesn't it get annoying that you have even if you stretch it out you have to you know every couple of weeks you have to change the oil no because it takes about 10 minutes and then the rest of the the rest of the two weeks that i'm riding are more enjoyable i can have more fun i can go to more places get more remote do more unique things i'm not going to let 10 minutes affect all of that rather than the other way around um but it depends you know i mean i used to build motorcycles for a living so doing service work on a on a bike is like it's it's not a big deal yeah some people people it is you know they need to go and find a shop that can do it for them and you know be there for a day whatever i mean you know i'll do it on the on the side of the road i carry the, the used oil I go to a mechanic shop, I drop it off, I buy some new oil and carry that with me until I, I need to do an oil change. It's not a, you know, it's not a big deal. You know, it's same air filter. I pull the air filter out and I'm washing my clothes after I've done that. I, I wash the air filter out. If, I've, if I'm doing it at the same time, I'm doing an oil change, re-oil the, the air filter with the old engine oil. You know, it's, it, it's, it's, it, it's preventive maintenance. Every single motorcycle that you ride, you're going to have to do something to yeah. if you're on the road long enough. And the bike that I had prior to this, the DR650, which everybody's like, oh, it's the best bike. They'll run forever. You know, if there was the the apocalypse happened, you know, everybody would be riding around on DR650 because they never break. For me, it was the most unreliable bike. There was It was like... Every other week, something major was breaking on it. So, yeah, to most people, that might have been trip ending, but it was just like, oh, all right, well, I'll I'll stop here for a day. I'll fix it, then I carry on. You know, so you just take it. You take it in your stride. That's all. It's you when you travel around the world. um, That now has become your job. Your job to to well to get from wherever to wherever your job is from a to b and deal with whatever happens in between a and b whether it's change your oil whether it's do your laundry whether it's buy this or do whatever um and you just you just accept it and you do it you know um and just you know enjoy it if you if you don't enjoy it then go home you know it's um and go back and sit in your cubicle and then and then reminisce for the rest of your life and grouse about it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah, it's good good advice too for picking the bike is you have to be you have to be comfortable with working on that machine like you know you may want some some high dollar machine but are you going to be able to work on it and are you going to enjoy working on it yeah. so maybe yes. that simpler bike yes. is better for you if you think about it you know you could pick any bike you want you you know yes it really does help if you can do you know do let's see i mean if you can change the oil, change the air filter, fix a puncture, uh, change cables, uh, brake fluid, brake pads, you know, all the, all the basics. So basically, if you, could, if you know how to change all your consumables, then that's great. Yeah. Uh, it helps. It saves you money. If you have to go to a dealership to, to get that done, that's just an added expense, which reduces the amount of travel. But if that's how you travel, then, yeah, I'm okay. That's fine. Yeah. But one thing i will say that and i tell this to everybody if you ride a bike and you don't know how to fix it yourself and it needs a very specific tool for something whatever it may be you know you need to top up your your blinker fluid or whatever if you need a very specific tool take that with you even if you don't know how it works 
you'll always find somebody that does and chances are that specific tool won't be available everywhere around you know if you're in the middle of africa and you need a you know a 31 mil socket that that you had to order special order from the dealership then you're kind of screwed if you got it with you i'm sure there's somebody that can that can help you out help, to fix, yeah. To fix yeah. yeah that's awesome now i'm gonna i i, I want to kind of go back like with your photos and stuff like that a little bit and just ask you one simple question. Like, it's actually probably not going to be as simple, considering mm-hmm. how long you've been riding around. Um, Don't what's... say what's your favorite photo. Don't say what's your favorite. No, no, no. Oh, no, 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 no. What was your favorite place? What was, what's was what been the favorite place that you've ever ridden, whether it be for the people, the landscape, uh, the riding terrain, whatever, what have you? What, what, what's been probably one of your favorite places that you liked that you – almost always want to try and go back to uh i can't you can't pick one place i'll just i'll put it like that because um the thing is there's different places have the different reasons why you ride there so somebody asked me this exact same question maybe two days ago um and, and he said what's your favorite place and i said i don't have uh, I don't have one favorite place. There's different places for different things. So the list that I said to him, places that I really enjoy riding, uh, Tajikistan, Colombia, Ecuador, Peru, Colorado, Norway, um, are you know high up on the high up on the list, and a Greek island called Crete. They they stand out to me. Um, and they stand out for different reasons, different types of riding. Um, you know, it might be uh, more aggressive type of riding, or it might be it might that might be for one place. It might be scenery for another place. It might be certain tracks that you go on, the people that you meet as you know when you're on those tracks. So, um, but they they all they all have a similarity. The the places that I rode, they're all they're all dirt tracks. Where do you normally find your dirt tracks, though? I mean, other than just wandering past them. I've been uh, I've been collecting dirt tracks for about ten years. I have about a on my computer. I have about a million a million kilometers of dirt tracks all over the world. Um, that if I'm reading something, some uh, somewhere looks interesting, I contact the person. Hey, did you? Uh, you have a GPS when you wrote that? Yeah. Can you send me the track? Okay. And then I look in other places. I'll look on Google Earth, Google Maps, Maps.me, All Trails, Wikiloc. Um, I'll go on to different forums that have download tracks. I'll go on to Jeep forums. I mean, I'll, I'll look all over the place. Um, and then I'll, I'll take them and, and look at them and see – if there's any way that I can kind of combine them together um, to do as much as much dirt as possible, so it's not any one particular place. It's it's lots of things. And then if I get to a place where maybe I do or maybe I don't have somewhere to ride, I'll speak to the locals and I'll ask them. And if if they say, yeah, that's a really bad road, you shouldn't go up there, then generally I do. So. Um, because I want to find out for myself. Their, their opinion of the bad road and my opinion of the bad road might be two completely different things, you know. A couple extra potholes that, that knocked them out. 
Well, landslides <laughs> and you know, you know, fires and and floods and things like that. That um, there's one. I remember one particular road in in Peru in the Andes that there was a bridge that had been washed away and it'd been washed away for I don't know about a decade or so, and. It's in this amazing canyon that's that's all rainbow-colored rocks, and at the bottom, I'd heard from one of the locals that they'd put a new bridge in, and everybody called it that bridge because it took you from from one valley to another, and if you didn't take that, because most of the, most of the locals couldn't because it wasn't there, um, that this one particular crossing was amazing, but without that bridge being there, it would take about two days to get to the same point and one local said to me they put the bridge in last week they put a new bridge in and it wasn't announced that nobody knew about it except for the locals so i'm like oh cool so off i go and i was at the top of a mountain looking down and i get my camera out with a zoom lens and i zoom in take a photo look at it on the screen zoom that in and i can see this tiny straight line at the bottom of the valley and about three hours later I got to it and there was a bridge there um, but most people wouldn't go down there because it's it was a six hour round trip on a maybe but I had local info that said that it was there and the ride was absolutely phenomenal so sometimes maps and GPS tracks just don't work but the locals know great places or there might be something like you know that oh there's this amazing place and it's in the lonely planet or the rough guide or whatever everybody goes there to me i use, if i look at those books i look at them as places to avoid so you avoid all the crowds but if you show it to a local they'll go oh there's another one three miles down the road that's identical <laughs> that nobody goes to well that's where i'm going to you know so yep same with food right you go where yeah. the locals yeah. eat yeah eat where the locals eat, eat where truck drivers eat Eat where the police seat, because that's generally the best places. Nice. So, Paul, we've yeah. had John here quite a bit. Uh, um, what's uh, what's coming up next for you besides your trip up to Alaska and then going down south? I I'll go down. I mean, originally it was I was hopping across the Europe and riding across Siberia, but uh, in my head, so there's not nothing is written in stone. So I'll, I'll tell you what I have in my head that I'm going to ride down South America. Um, I'm going to go and ride. Um, I'm looking to ride a, probably the two toughest roads in in South America, which are in Brazil, the, the BR319 and the BR230, which is um, which is the Trans-Amazonica. Um, and then I'll ride down to Ushuaia again because I've been there for nine years. Um, I'll come back up to Buenos Aires and fly to Europe, and then I'll ride from... Uh, from Portugal to Siberia and go via the stands and Mongolia and all that kind of fun stuff, Road of Bones, Bam Road, and then fly down from there to New Zealand, do New Zealand, Australia, then fly probably either to Southeast Asia or to Africa and then come back to Europe. And then so that is about that quick sentence is about three years at least of, of writing. So um, and after that, it's just it's vague <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot I, w- I was actually going to ask if if you were going to get to africa or australia just looking at your map 
I I used to live in Africa. I, I lived in Morocco in uh, in eighty seven. I lived in Kenya in ninety three, and I traveled quite a bit back then. So it's n- never been much of a priority because I I spent a lot of my earlier years there. So mm. I I've tended to go to places that um, that I haven't been. But I for some reason I keep ending up in South America. I've been to I've been to South America in uh, I was there eighty seven two thousand eleven twelve thirteen. Um, 17, 18, 19. So um, I keep ending up back there. So I wasn't planning on going back because of because of uh, COVID. Now it seems easier and more logical just to pull out of the driveway and ride rather than putting the bike in a crate and hoping that everything's good when I get to another country. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, you don't, the thing is now. I mean, I'm getting this question a lot from people that are, are just starting off. You know, when do you think we can start riding again? Where you know, and to me, it's you don't want to be a pioneer. You don't want to be the first person heading into a country borders that are asking for you know medical paperwork or vaccines or background checks or anything like that. So right. uh, let you know. Let other people that want to be the pioneer, let them go first. So that's, for me, that's why now I'm heading to up to Alaska before I head south, um, just for the fact that I'll let some other people go and say, yeah, this this border was good or this border was bad. Um, it just makes my, I'd rather have an easy life than, uh, than deal with bureaucracy. <laughs> Sound now, advice. And I've heard, and I've heard, uh, lots of different stories. Um, I listen to a lot of uh, like adventure podcasts and stuff like that. Uh-huh. And diff- different people um, have different experiences, even through like a lot of the same border crossings. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. different times depending on who's there, um, who you're with, or if you're alone. All sorts of different factors that could uh, play into how a border crossing can go. So, yeah. And that's something that's you know that's that a lot of people don't really think about. It's like, hey, if I'm by myself, am I easier to be taken advantage of than instead of a group or all sorts of different things? Nobody's nobody's out to get you. It's a, it's a big misconception that that when you travel, that you know the world's a dangerous place and you watch your back and whatever. But in general, ninety nine point nine percent of uh, places you go and people you meet everything is just fine even if it's you know you going through rough areas that they don't want they don't want problems with tourists because it generates more problems for them so you know when you get to borders um my rule of thumb with if when i'm doing a border crossing is never stay in a town next to a border because border towns are always a mess it doesn't matter where where you go so always be at least two towns away from a border, which is generally, you know, your, your half hour to an hour right away. Have a good breakfast before you get there so you, you don't need food. Take plenty of water with you and be prepared to be there the whole day. And go there with a positive attitude. If you get through a border in a couple of hours, you're having a really good day. Um, if you don't need any help because you need to learn for yourself and generally if you do somebody does offer you help they're going to take your documents they're going to take your passport and it's going to go out of your hands out of sight and that's not a good thing that's when that's when problems happen um 
you just say, hey, you, if you do want somebody to help you, yeah, you can help me, but I keep hold of the documents and you show me whatever. And if you do that and if the person still wants to help you, then you know they're legit. If they go, ah, no, no, and walk away, you know they were going to rip you off. It's, it's pretty pretty logical. I mean, I did the border crossing between Nicaragua and Costa Rica um, in 2011, I think it was, and I didn't know anything. I didn't know anything about the border crossing at all, um, and I was there for 14 hours. Um, the following year, I did the same border crossing again. I knew where everything was. It took me 45 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I thought to myself, how many people are getting stuck? At these uh, Central America borders are renowned for being being really difficult. So um, I wrote a book about it called, uh, called Logically Central America Border Crossing Guide. And I wrote it back in 2012. And people say, ah, oh, well, you only just did that just to – you know, for money, and you didn't do it, you know, you, you're doing it for yourself, not for other people. And I said, well, I make 29 cents on every book that I sell. So I'm not making a crazy profit. I just, I hear so many people that have problems on those particular borders. And I just went and I photographed every border. This is where you take your passport. Here's a photo. This is the building where you take the bike paperwork. This is where you get your copies from. You need to do A, B, C, D. Mm. When you've done that, then you need to go to this building and do this. And I had a rider I met in Colombia, and she said to me, I got your book. She said, I had it as a PDF on my phone. And she said, I'm looking at photos, and I knew where to go. And she said, within 10 minutes, I had a dozen people following me. And we all got through the borders easy. Nice. So, you know, if you, so the logic of that is if you're, if you're going to a border and you see somebody coming the other way and you presume they speak your language, hey, wave them down. Did you just come through that border? Yeah, I did. What's the procedure? And they'll say, oh, yeah, you need to go to the blue building first to do this. And you need to look for a guy. He's got a, He's got a, a cap on and he has a green, always wears a green shirt. You need to find him because he has to stamp the paperwork. Unless you speak fluently in the language of the country that you're in, it's going to take you hours to figure that out until you see a trail of people doing the exact same thing, re repeating over and over and over again. So use other people or use sites like uh, iOverlander that, that people have gone in there and they've written stuff up and um you know we're all in this together so you know help if you help each other out it just makes your life easier and then you just get back to riding drinking beer camping on the beach whatever it is that floats your boat the good stuff yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it's what makes the memories <laughs> yeah yeah all that and breaking down yeah <laughs> and crapping in the woods <laughs> and crapping in the woods yeah don't forget crapping in the woods I've never forgotten crap a crap in the woods. Yeah. In fact, oh, to this day, not, you, not once. Have if, I. You know, like if if you're if you're you break down and there's nobody around and you need somebody, um, if you just take a piss, then guaranteed somebody's going to show up instantly because they always do. You've been nowhere to take a piss and somebody will pop out from behind a tree. So. <laughs> That's something always to remember. Then. There you go. I only give logical information. Yes, I love it. I love it. Always in your most inconvenient and 
vulnerable spot will will someone show up? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's awesome, Paul. Um, I know for me this has been just enlightening and just great talking all this. Um, I, for myself, I've learned a lot. Uh, anybody else? I, oh yeah, most definitely. Well, we could keep asking Paul questions. We could be on here for the next three or four hours. I'm sure. Yeah. Be on here for the next. <laughs> we could be on here for the next couple months, but <laughs> definitely don't want to take into his writing time when he gets on it. So, yeah, I mean, if you got anything else, just just ask. I mean, it's it's funny. People say, "Oh, you should you should write a book about all this stuff," and you you have so much crap in your head when you when you've been traveling for so long that you you couldn't logically put it into a book but like you guys you ask me random questions and I'm like, oh yeah this 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 so so yeah it's it's like i say i get numerous emails and messages and dms and whatever on a daily basis and people asking questions i just i respond to them so you know if i'm riding i might take a day or two to get back to you but um yeah it's just i I, I pass it forward. It's, um, you know, I got the information from somebody else or I learned it. So I just hand it on. You know, it's not, I'm not giving you government secrets, top secret information, anything like that. I'm just, I'm giving you information, you know, so um, that, that was useful to me. And I'll disclaimer it. It's not necessarily going to work for you, but it worked for me. So, you know, if, if I can help you out, yeah, drop me a message and I'll, if I can, I will. If I can't, then I'll I'll point you in the right direction to somebody who I think that could help you. Yeah, and I'll echo what Bacon said. I've, I've definitely learned a lot. And like I, I said earlier, I'm really enjoying the philosophy of, of how you ride and just how you approach a trip in general and, and lots of great stuff on your website. So I encourage people to check out rtwpaul.com and all the social media, all the photos, just fantastic setup well done i appreciate it thank you yep and all those links will be in uh of course all the show notes and stuff here uh just so it's easy uh easy for everyone to get to yeah so yeah and like i say with i'll start once, once i start moving again i'll i'll get my youtube channel going and then you can get a more kind of hands-on view and i'll video stuff um and I'll start it from I'll start it from here. From it, it's I'll call it day one, even though it's not. It's like whatever. It'll be you know year going on year ten, but it'll be day one video. Um, so it'll be from the ride will be starting from the states and then going forth from there. So if you want if you want to ride around the world, but you know you never will, or you can't afford to, or your family ties or whatever, then subscribe on YouTube, and then I'll, I'll take you around the world. You can go around the world on a, on a KTM. That sounds like the best invitation ever. Yeah. <laughs> what can I say? I'm a nice guy. <laughs> well, Paul, thank you again um, for accepting our invitation to be on the show. Um, and doing what you do, I mean, you, you can teach a lot of, you teach a lot of people, a lot of things and, you know, maybe even just philosophy and just getting out of their normal habits. And that's amazing. So for me personally, I just like to say thank you. And, um, I think it's about that time. What do you think guys? 
Yeah, I had a great time. I appreciate uh, all the information, Paul, and hopefully we'll hear from you again. All right, guys. Thank you very much. Nice talking to you. Yeah, stay safe, Paul. Thank you. Okay, thank Goodbye. You. Well, everyone, uh, thank you again for uh, listening here to uh, the Cracklecast. We are... We just got done talking with Round the World Paul, and uh, of course, don't forget to look at all our show notes. Check us out on social media. Drop us an email at cracklecaststudio.com or look us up at cracklecaststudio.com. So just just uh, send it back to me, and I'll figure out a way to re-record it and drop it in. Sure. Or I'll just re-record that little ending piece. Okay. But either way, so everybody, once again, Rich and John, thank you guys for coming on tonight. Appreciate Probably it. Thank you for having us, Bacon. Had a good time. Good, good. A boomer? Sleep yeah, on. I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. He got all toasty by that fire and put him to sleep. I yeah, guess so. Bacon well, boomer. Him in. Yeah. I, I bet you, I bet you there was a whiskey, and I'm good to go. I bet you there was whiskey in there too. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, I guess it's time to get out of here. All right. Well, I'll uh, see you on the next one, man. All right. We'll see you again. Vaya con Dios, everyone.